You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hello, you mob out there. Welcome to Mob Got Talent. I'd like to pay my respects and acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nations, of the Woiwurrung and the Wurundjeri peoples. And now, I know you're waiting for it. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Mob Got Talent, Alice Guy, ladies and gentlemen, and her band.
now, the winner is... <laughs> we have no winners in Aboriginal culture. That's something of the past, the colonial past. There are no winners with Mob Got Talent. Everybody, every individual is a winner in their own right. So good night, folks, and remember, each and every one of you have got the power within you. Use your indigeneity. Good night, sweet dreams. And you're tuned in to Queering the Out on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris here in the studio today. Um, your host for the next hour until 4pm if you're listening live on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au and on demand on our website there and also on digital and dub radio and podcasted. So, Queering the Air is a bit of a show that we talk about, have talk about social movement stuff often on the shows I do or music and stuff and... The previous track you heard was from Alice Sky, Stay in Bed, and you heard a bit of, I think, Jack Charles there from The Deadly... Um, uh, I forgot what event that was from there. Um, yeah, so this is your Radical Radio 3CR, and for today's show, it's going to be a bit of a mix of things. I've got a bunch of speeches from various protests and rallies in solidarity, but first I'd just like to give... An acknowledgement of country that we're broadcasting over the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nations. And I'd like to pay, res- pay, pay my respect to all Indigenous elders, past, present, and future, and yeah, and acknowledge the resistance against colonization on these lands is still ongoing. Um, and within that acknowledgement, yeah. Um, thinking about what our settlers can do in solidarity with First Nations folks. Um, and one of the prominent campaigns going around at the moment is a, the Band Spit Hoods campaign, which is um, spearheaded by a family that has been gra- gravely affected by an, a black death in custody in on Kerner country in South Australia, and I'm particularly I'm thinking about Latoya Rule spearheading that campaign. I'll provide a link in the show, no- show notes, but it's yeah, it's about Wayne Feller Morrison who was killed in custody, and yeah, there's a, there's a coroner's inquest ongoing, and definitely check out um, Justice for Feller, which is on facebook because they have an amazing campaign doing all these creative actions and definitely if you can support the petition to ban spit hoods so they're looking at yeah spit hoods are these these things that um that prison officers and i guess some um, some police as well can put over someone and they were one part they were one thing that implicated in this death so that's why there's a call to ban spit hoods as like a a torture device that is used by the system. Um, so yeah, I'll provide a link to that in the show notes. So getting a bit more onto t- today's show. Um, yeah, I was listening to a podcast earlier b- featuring Sarah Shulman. There's lots I don't agree with her on, but yeah, she has written a political history of ACT UP, which is a, which is the queer direct action group, most famous in the US, but also has existed on this continent as well. And 
yeah, she was thinking about her, like, queers pioneered um, needle syringe programs, all sorts of harm reduction work, which is one of the things we're going to talk about on today's show, um, we're going to hear from. And, yeah, also made this point at the end about a lot of the work, I don't subscribe to a progress narrative in terms of queer politics that were somehow, we've arrived at this grand place, I think, things, the same systems are intact, but there's been some wins in some respects in terms of many queer and trans people are able, um, yeah, like able to go about lives in a different way that in some ways as a result of struggle in the past. And yeah, she made a point how, how like there's so many queers active in like movements against, um, police violence particularly, um, and yeah, movements in, Pal- in solidarity with Palestine. And it's like these sort of issues that we f- see, um, queer people really involved in. And that's why I think it's important not to narrowly think about queer politics in terms of, in a narrow way, but it, I really understand it in a way that's like across solidarity and, and for like liberation across many things. So first we're going to be hearing from um, the Rally for Harm Reduction and later in the program we'll hear a bit about Palestine and um, and another rally I was in attendance a month ago as well which relates to Indigenous sovereignty and like control over land in so-called Victoria. So but first we'll go to the Harm Reduction Rally. So this was a recent weekend, Saturday, May 22nd, there was a support harm reduction in an NOS rally held, um, hosted by Phoebe McDonald and Liz Walsh. They chaired the rally. And so there's been a lot of talk around injection rooms and, um, and a lot of reactionary stuff going on in relation to that being whipped up by the right. Um, and it's pretty disappointing because we know that harm reduction instead of criminalizing people is the way to actually um, support people. And yeah, and that's what we're going to be hearing from for some of these speeches. So first up, we have um, Sione Crawford from Harm Reduction Victoria. And Sione is a peer advocate with lived experience of drug use. Stay tuned to Queering the Out on 3CR Community Radio. Harm Reduction Victoria, where I'm from, which is a drug user organisation uh, made up of peers, people with past and living current experience of uh, injecting and other drug use, uh, has been funded since 1987 to do harm reduction work. And I think that what's really important to, to kick off with is that people who use drugs are part of our community. Uh, we're in this crowd, we're not in this crowd, we're probably in the crowd that was here on Wednesday night as well. Um, and. Uh, the, Services, we, we, we are part of, this, the, uh, part of society and actually uh, deserve to have uh, services for us as well. Harm reduction's um, main, one of a uh, harm reduction sort of guiding principle is accepting people for who they are and where they are and uh, supporting them to live longer, ultimately, which is exactly what injecting rooms are for. And um, people who inject and use drugs have been part of the response to HIV, AIDS, hepatitis C, overdose, and other um, health issues that affect people who, who use drugs. We've been fighting to, for society to see it as a health issue for a very long time. Unfortunately, it's still a criminal issue. So people like me are not very happy to come out and speak about being a drug user in front of crowds like this because of the hate that happens on Wednesday night. So 
what I really would like to uh, get across is that uh, for people who think it's okay to hate other people in their society just for an attribute, for a health issue, uh, you should be ashamed. And uh, harm reduction is actually about eliminating or trying to eliminate those attitudes as well as keeping people safe. I lost track of the number of people that I know that have died from an overdose when it hit about nine. I just stopped counting. I'm sick of it. And uh, injecting rooms like North Richmond, their first goal is to save lives. Their second, third and fourth goals are other things. And way down the list is improving amenity because people who inject drugs and use drugs are part of our community. And although they're labelled as undesirable and uh, that we want to get them off the streets by certain politicians, uh, what's undeniably true is that people who use drugs have been with us for many, 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 many years and decades. For basically since the start of time, people have used drugs. We're not going to eliminate drug use. Harm reduction is about keeping people safe for as long as possible while they're using, and that might be to the end of their life. So. Um, trying to sweep it under the carpet is pointless. Our position and our uh, ideal is to have a number of injecting rooms around uh, Victoria and around Melbourne. They don't all have to be massive medically supervised injecting rooms like North Richmond. That's done a great job though. Uh, it's, as I said, it saved lives. It actually, uh, for people like me who don't want to say to their GP or to a, a mainstream doctor that I'm a drug user, injecting rooms are incredibly important for accessing other healthcare, uh, you know, from you know, from uh, hepatitis care, through pharmacotherapy uh, care, through just primary health wound care and just primary health everyday care that most of us take for granted. So injecting rooms are all about being a gateway, but their first, uh, their first role is a gateway to a longer life. And I think we all deserve that. That's right. All of us here think that people who use drugs deserve dignity. They deserve to be treated with respect. And yes, they that's some um, audio there from a rally for harm reduction in the inner west. And next we're going to be turning to some speakers from the organisation Flat Out, um, who spoke at the rally. Two speakers who spoke um, were Yasmin Jensen Soliam, Program Support Worker, and Ray Alfonso. So now stay tuned to those speakers. And for context, the rally on Wednesday night was uh, an anti-injection room rally, which was attended by Bernie Finn, Finn, who is quite the reactionary in big parliament um, in terms of puts on those much of the babies rallies, which are against abortion rights. Two speakers from Flat Out Inc. Uh, Flat Out are an amazing community organisation. They've been around for about 30 years, I believe. Uh, and they do incredible work uh, supporting women who have been criminalised, women who are in the prison system or who've been, who are out advocating for them, fighting for their human rights. Uh, and so, yeah, we're really, really honoured to have them uh, speaking here today. Uh, the first speaker we're going to hear from is Yasmin Jensen Soliam. Uh, Yasmin works uh, in particular as an intake worker and support worker. Uh, and uh, she's also going to talk about her lived experience, which is incredibly important uh, to hear about. So thank you, yes. Hi everyone, I'm Yasmin. Um, as Liz said, I work for Flat Out. Um, I have quite an extensive lived experience of family violence and AOD use. Um, a few years ago, I was homeless in uh, in the CBD of Melbourne. Um, I was a heavy, heavy drug user. Um, finding somewhere safe to use was just 
absolutely ridiculously hard. Um, I resorted to using down laneways, um, shady staircases, um, and got myself into some pretty sticky situations with other people where I'd be stood over for drugs or, um, you know, using in really dirty places and, and putting dirty, basically dirty drugs in my arm. Um, which in turn, you know, gave me pretty bad reactions and there was no healthcare around to help me. Um, I think the supervised injecting facility in Richmond, had that been around when I was homeless and using, would have saved me from some pretty scary situations. Um, and I definitely would have used it. So I think having somewhere safe for people to use is so important. Um, decreases the risk of overdose and, um, you know, ambul ambulance is just not coming out. Um, when I was homeless, friends of mine overdosed and we'd call the ambulance in Richmond and they just wouldn't turn up half the time. Um, so yeah, I think somewhere safe for people to use, in particular women, um, is just really important. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Yaz, for sharing with us. Uh, and as she says, there's already uh, incredible pressure on the public health system. There's not enough responsiveness from our ambulances. And actually having the, the supervised injecting facilities um, also means that instead of having to wait for ambulances to come out or when they don't come out, that people who are you know, getting in difficult situations can immediately uh, be helped. Um, and actually, in, uh, there's when the, 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 the facility in Sydney got set up, they saw an 80% reduction in uh, the need for ambulance call-outs uh, for heroin-related issues. So you can see how these facilities actually take pressure off um, the already really strained public health system, which is another reason why it's so important to support them. Uh, so our next speaker from Flat Out is uh, Ray Alfonso. Ray uh, does work uh, particularly in advocacy and research uh, and is a project officer who looks in particular at questions of family violence that women experience and their connections as well to AOD and criminalisation. So thank you, Ray. Thanks, Liz. Um, thanks to everyone for coming out today and also thanks to Yaz. It's just a privilege to work with you and to work with my whole team. Um, I just want to acknowledge before I start um, the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And if so, when we get this facility, it will be by the grace of the traditional owners and it will be on their country. So, um, yeah, I'm Ray. I work on the Family Violence Justice Project at Flat Out. Um, it's largely training and advocacy around the intersections between family violence and criminalisation. And a lot of that advocacy centres on the fact that family violence, criminalisation and problematic substance use, these are not matters of personal or moral individual failing. They are social issues that highlight how privilege and power moves in our world. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, I know that everyone is here because they know that harm minimisation saves lives and because we choose research and science and good sense over scaremongering. 
But I guess the question is, if we're trying to build a, mobilise a movement and a response, how do we take this to the broader community in a way that they will understand? And the neatest way I can think of to frame it is that recreational substance use is not problematic in and of itself. And problematic substance use is not recreational. Problematic substance use is one thread in a bigger story of health and well-being. And in almost 20 years of frontline service work, I'm yet to hear a story that is not at its core about someone trying to survive and thrive. And thriving is made a lot less possible when the state frames health issues as a matter of morality. I know each of you here will advocate for health issues to be health issues, not political footballs that bear the terrible cost of human dignity and human life. Because we know that we aren't asking for something ephemeral. The research is overwhelming as to the positive health outcomes, social impacts and even economic benefits of programs like NSP and supervised injecting. Decarceral harm minimisation outcomes that focus on community resourcing, education and support have so much to offer all of us. Our current tough on crime, highly criminalised state context isn't working. It isn't preventing harm. It fosters violent systemic abuse that destroys lives and families on the daily. Over the last decade, the number of women in prison in Victoria has more than doubled. Rates of incarceration for First Nations women are double that again for the same time period. It's not good enough. Most of those women are being remanded, which means they're awaiting sentencing. Many for minor drug-related offences, which are crimes of survival and poverty. All of them have experienced family violence in the course of their lifetime. And by the time they receive a sentence, even of no custodial time, they will have been locked up on remand long enough to lose everything anyway. Women, especially those with the systemic cards stacked against them, Indigenous women, women of colour, queer and trans women, young women, they do not need their survival and resistance criminalised. They need more safe and inclusive spaces that are focused on their health and well-being, now more than ever. You're listening to 3CR Radio. FreeCR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. It has been such a dark year, and I know I could speak to that darkness and everybody here would feel it in their guts. And it's important to acknowledge that. But it is also really important to acknowledge the incredible power of community mobilisation at times like these. Mobilisation like this rally today. That's what keeps me going and so many of us going. And over the last year, I saw so much incredible responses to hardships. People feeding each other, housing each other, kids calling to each other rooftop to rooftop, amazing grassroots community advocacy out of nowhere, the rent strikes. That's what led to the moratorium on evictions. That wasn't handed to us, it wasn't a gift. People gathered and they demanded it and they made it happen. 
amazing, you know, creativity everywhere. There was so much free art, even though every single artist I know was out of a job. And everywhere I went during lockdown, people were trying so hard over their masks to smile at me with their eyes. You know, we're, we're out there on our government-sanctioned exercise. And usually, you know, I used to walk before lockdown with my head down and my guard up. But we were out there, you know, like squinting at each other over these masks, trying to beam at each other through these tiny gaps. And we showed up. We showed up for each other. And the state did not show up for us. In order to maintain the huge engines of capitalism and colonialism, they continue to dissect us and divide us along lines of privilege in terms of our access to healthcare, resources and basic safety. And I'm talking about the hard lockdown. I'm talking about brown and black bodies behind chain link fences, swarming with police while across the road people were popping down to the shops and walking their dogs. I think of all of the people made homeless by the sudden end to the temporary accommodation programs. I'm thinking of all of the people living with family violence trapped in their homes with those who would do them harm for the duration of the lockdown. No additional funding for outreach or access to refuge or crisis accommodation and support. The powers that be would decide who is worthy and who is not. And they decide along these tired old algorithms of race and class and gender. But we do not have to play that game. We don't have to say, you, but not you. Your health issues deserve support. Yours don't make the cut. Health and well-being are not commodities. People who inject drugs have the right to do so safely and with dignity in an inclusive and welcoming space that centers their health. And why would we accept anything less now? We have touched our raw need for human connection and community in the last year. We've touched it many times. So we will not collude in this inhumane game of deservingness and virtue where you deserve safety and security and you don't. We will not say that in the growing wake of black deaths in custody. We will not say that to Palestinians calling for their freedom. We will not say that to women locked up on remand torn from their families because the state government puts more money into prison expansion than it does into safe and affordable housing. And we will not say that to people who need and deserve supervised injecting services to keep them safe and alive, because that is not what community means. Community is us. It's when we work to see each other, to witness each other's humanity, when we resist division and instead we offer each other dignity when we look at each other and we keep trying as hard as we bloody well can to smile with our eyes. Thank you. And that was a speech for Ray Alfonso at the Support Harm Reduction in Inner West Rally held on Saturday, May 22nd. And you're listening to Queerings Air if you just tuned into 3CR Cooney Radio, 855am on your AM dial. And I'm Iris here until 4pm. So next, we're going to hear from the next part of the rally, hearing from James Dunn, after Liz Walsh introduces. The work Flat Out do is absolutely admirable. Oh, apologies, after Phoebe McDonald introduces. Uh, they're an asset to our community and we need to be supporting organisations like them. Uh, next, I'd like to welcome to the stage James Dunn. He's a Vic Socialist member. He's a former needle syringe program worker and a harm reduction researcher. Thanks everyone. It's, it's fantastic to see such a, such a big group of supporters out here today. 
Um, before I start, I do want to acknowledge that we're gathered on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, my name is James, I'm a Footscray resident, uh, I'm a harm reduction researcher and advocate, and I've lived and worked all across the western suburbs for more than 10 years now. I want to speak today because I want to stand up for the health and rights of people who use drugs in the west. One of the first jobs I ever had was working in a needle syringe program in the Fortitude Valley in Brisbane. One afternoon we had a client come in. He came in, picked up some equipment and he was on his way. A few minutes later he returned. He sat down on a chair and he started to fall asleep. But it wasn't sleep. His skin started turning a, a clammy grey and his lips went blue. He was overdosing. My more experienced colleagues soon administered CPR, called an ambulance, and within, about, within a few minutes, paramedics arrived and administered a dose of naloxone. 15 minutes later, he was back on his feet and he was on his way. Two things about this experience really shocked me. The first was the absolute absurdity of the situation. Here we were providing our client with some, uh, some injecting equipment. We knew exactly what he was going to do, yet legally we couldn't provide a safe space for him to inject and have somebody nearby if he got himself into trouble. I always think, what would have happened if he went a bit further down the lane and injected down there? Or what if he'd gone across to the public toilets in the train station and used there? He might never have made it back to the NSP and he would never have, never have access to life-saving support. The second thing that shocked me was how simple it was to manage an overdose. When we're talking about supervised injecting facilities, we're not talking about huge clinics with big diagnostic equipment and lots of medication, or even the need for a Good Friday appeal to raise money for their operation. What we're talking about is a room staffed by people who know what overdose looks like and who know how to do CPR and give a, do give a dose of naloxone, and maybe even offer somebody a cup of tea while they recover. This is the type of thing that people who use drugs will be doing for each other long before we ever had a state-sanctioned supervised injecting facility anywhere in the world. The response is so simple that most of us could go to, go to any pharmacy in Footscray, pick up a $50 dose of naloxone and know how to save a life before our rally finishes here today. Over the past 10 years, uh, more than 200 people have died of overdose across the western suburbs of Melbourne. And right here in Maribyrnong, that number is 73. The latest data says that about 300 ambulance call-outs, we have about 300 ambulance call-outs each year related to, uh, related to drug use. 60 of these, these call-outs are so serious, they required the administration of naloxone to save somebody's life. That's 60 people in our area that would have died without paramedic intervention. 60 families and countless friends that would have to go through the trauma of losing a loved one. And 60 deaths that are entirely avoidable because we have such a simple solution at hand. But our mayor wants to bypass this solution sell out the health of people in Maribyrnong and handball this issue down Ballarat Road to Brimbank Council. Apparently that's because Brimbank has more overdoses than Maribyrnong. And, and for some reason, overdoses in Maribyrnong don't matter. If we knew, but we never apply this same logic to any other health service. If we knew that more babies were being born in, in, Marib in Brimbank, we wouldn't say to parents in, in Maribyrnong, sorry, you've got to head to Sunshine or St Albans and get a service there. No, what we would do is create a local service that fitted our needs and responded to the needs in our local area. In a city the size of Melbourne, a, super, a single supervised injecting facility in North Richmond just isn't enough. 
And while the focus has been on drug use in Footscray this week, all across the West there isn't enough support. This puts people at risk of overdose, it puts people at risk of hep C transmission, and it does nothing for the people who put up their hand and say they want to, they want to help. If you live in Footscray, Seddon, Braybrook, Mason or West Footscray, you shouldn't have to make a decision between using alone and travelling all the way to, to North Richmond. And if you live in Sunshine, Deer Park, St Albans, Laverton or Werribee, you should have easy access to sterile injecting equipment and have easy access to a service that can help, help you if you overdose. And so we're not talking about huge new centres. We're talking about a series of small spaces locally available with judgment-free support. The evidence across the world shows that these centres work. And we know this because in Australia, the injecting centre in Sydney is celebrating its 20th year of operation. In that time, more than 8,500 overdoses have been managed and more than a million injections have been overseen. And ambulance fallouts in the local area have dropped by 80% in relation to opiates. And most importantly, we know that businesses and residents support that centre in King's Cross. In the mall this week, we saw our mayor and other politicians leading an ill-informed and mean-spirited campaign against a supervising injecting facility. It's a campaign that says some people's lives are worth more than others in Maribyrnong, and it's a campaign that will only lead to more deaths and more trauma for families. The Footscray and the West that I know welcomes everyone and values everyone's lives equally. I've known too many people who have been lost to overdose and too many people whose lives, who, whose deaths could have been easily avoided. It's time for change and I support supervised injecting facilities and better access to injecting equipment across the West and I call on everyone to tell the Mayor the same. And that was James Dunn speaking there at the support Harm Reduction Rally in Inner West held on the 22nd of this month, May 2021. You're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, and up next I'm going to play a track for you, Don't Let a Good Girl Down by Thelma Plum, and yeah, we're going to leave that rally there, and it was organised by Phoebe McDonald and Liz Walsh from the Victorian Socialists. Stay tuned, tuned to 3CR. The depths that you go to bring a good girl To bring a good girl down Just cause you're icky Don't mean that you're down To bring a good girl To bring a good girl down It's kind of icky
to 3CR Community Radio. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep us going for another year. Independent community media is more important than ever and we need your support to power community radio. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 039419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR Community Powered Radio. Yes, you're tuned into 3CR Community Radio and in a few days it is June and we have our Radiothon. So listeners, it's time for you to get your metaphorical purses out there or like online bank accounts and support Radical Radio here in 3CR because there isn't any other radio stations in Melbourne where we hear um, all the amazing content on 3CR and where would we be without... This institution for over 40 years existing here in so-called Melbourne. Yeah, next on, and if you just tuned in, Queering the Air is what you're listening to. Next on the program, we're going to be hearing from the Free Palestine Rally on the 15th of May. So going back a few weeks, um, I know the context has changed a bit, but fundamentally the Israeli occupation is still ongoing and Palestinians are resisting Pretty incredible resistance and incredible rallies put on by Free Palestine Melbourne. Check them out on social media if you haven't already. Also, tune into Palestine Remembered on 3CR, which covers Palestine every week. Um, and also the show, the show after Queering There at 4, Salam Radio Show has covered the Palestine rallies and everything too. So definitely check that out. And a sneak peek... Um, Women on the Line, the other show I'm involved in, a co-presenter will be playing something on eight at eight thirty. It'll be first airing then eight thirty a.m. Um, on stop stop arms dealers, and that's linked to Palestine because we have Albert Systems, which which the Victorian government have an eight million dollar contract with, and Albert Systems are an Israeli arms company. So we're going to we're going to be going to the speech from Janine Harani. Um, at the Free Palestine Rally a few weeks ago on the 15th. 
We've got a speaker now, Janine, who is a Palestinian activist, campaigner, and educator. Give her a warm welcome. Hi, everyone. Um, I'd like to tell you my personal story. Um, but before I begin, I would like to start by acknowledging the Bunurung, Bumurung, Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and pay my respect to Elders past and present. While we gather here to stand in solidarity with Palestine and Palestinians, it is important for us to acknowledge that the same system that vilifies, oppresses and imprisons Palestinians also vilifies, oppresses and imprisons First Nations people right here on this continent. While we watch settler colonial violence unfold in Palestine, never forget that we have seen over 500 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander deaths in custody since 1991. It is also important for us to acknowledge that while we as Palestinians were and continue to be victims of the colonization of our own land, here we are the benefactors of the colonization of this land. Our fight for the liberation of Palestine on this continent must first and foremost center Aboriginal sovereignty. And I would like to say to any First Nations people joining us today, your fight is our fight and our struggle is one. Uh, as I mentioned, my name is Janine, and I was named after the city of Janine in the West Bank. Uh, I was named Janine as a sign of resistance, and I was raised by my parents and grandparents to do that name justice. I was eight years old the first time I heard my name on the TV. At first, I was excited that my namesake was getting a mention on the news, and then I realized the reason it was being mentioned was because a massacre, now known as the Janine Massacre, was happening. I already knew that Palestinian resistance ran through my blood, but in that moment, I realized how inseparable the Palestinian liberation movement is from our very identity. As Palestinians, our existence is, in and of itself, a sign of resistance. <laughs> Even though I'm named after the city of Janine, I'm not from Janine. My grandmother is from a, I'm sorry, my grandmother is from a town called Tarshiha, and my grandfather is from a village called Hattin, both of which are in 48 Palestine, now known as Israel. My grandfather's village, Hattin, was completely erased in 1948. In 2018, I returned to Hattin, and we had to find an old map of Palestine to try and figure out where the village was. My dad sat in the front seat of the car holding up the map in front of his face and we spent most of the day driving around in circles before we finally found Hattin. By the time we got there it was almost dark and we only had a few precious moments to soak in our surrounds. And those very short moments were the most confronting moments of my life. It was so hard to believe a village used to be there that there were homes and schools and lives that were lived there. It was as if we had never existed. Hattin is not unique. There were over 400 Palestinian villages that were erased in 1948. And the threat of what is happening in Sheikh Jarrah right now is not unlike what happened to Hattin. And while Hattin is not unique, nor is the Palestinian struggle. 
As much as we are lied to that what is happening in Palestine is complicated, there is nothing complicated about it. Israel maintains a regime of apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. None of these concepts are new. They have all existed in some form throughout history. This nation is founded on settler colonialism. We are all familiar with apartheid South Africa. What is happening in Kashmir is occupation and what is happening in East Turkestan is ethnic cleansing. Drawing parallels between our struggles doesn't only shed light on the commonality of different social justice issues, but it also shows us that as Palestinians, our freedom and liberation is so inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many others around the world. Now more than ever, it is so important to stand in solidarity and fight for justice and truth. One way to do this is through the BDS movement, which people have mentioned in previous speeches. BDS is a Palestinian-led movement BDS is a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, justice and equality. It aims to pressure the state of Israel to meet its human rights obligations using the tools of boycott, divestment and sanctions, hence BDS. BDS Australia, BDS Australia is about to launch a campaign against Elbit Systems, which is an Israeli defence and security company that manufactures weapons and arms and field tests these weapons and arms on Palestinians. The Australian government has in the past had billion dollar contracts with Elbit Systems and the Victorian state government currently has a six million dollar contract with them to establish a research centre right here in Melbourne. Yeah. Elbit, along with most of our campaign targets at BDS Australia, do not only harm Palestinians. The governments of India and Colombia also have contracts with Elbit Systems and both of these governments are currently perpetrating state-sanctioned violence against their own citizens. Please like and follow BDS Australia on social media to keep updated on our upcoming campaign. And finally, I would like to reassure you all that what we are doing is working. The Israeli Supreme Court postponed the forced evictions of Sheikh Jarrah citizens for 30 more days because of local and international outcry. We are seeing a rise in media coverage on Palestine and we are becoming harder and harder to ignore. Maintain the momentum and maintain the rage. We have a protest again, same time, same place next week. It's not over yet, our struggle is ongoing. It does not start or end with Sheikh Jarrah. Our work is only done when the entire Zionist project has been abolished. And you're listening to a speech by Janine Aroni at the Free Palestine Rally on the 15th of May there. Um, and you have just tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. If you have just tuned in, I'm Iris and we're reaching towards the end of our show, which goes until 4pm. And up next, we're going to be going to another topic, um, but somewhat related in some ways. Um, because, yeah, this is talking about colonization, really, in this country. And so at the, at the end of April, um, there was a snap action on Gunai Kurnai country in so-called East Gippsland um, against the burning of country there. Um, that was called for by Gunai Kurnai 
people's gonna kind of women and the snap action was held there on the 28th of april at bansdale in front of the department of water land and stuff i forget the acronym um yeah so what was happening was the department had put up many um suggested burn areas and one of them was trident arm which was which is near Bangyanda lake tires which is was a mission um, for First Nations peoples, many Gunnokono peoples there. Um, and this is, then there was a bit of outcry about this, and it really shows how the department really don't have anything to do with like Indigenous land management. And it's a big concern how things can just pop up for a day or two, and people have no notice that these things are happening. And then there's a prescribed burn that does all sorts of ecological and cultural damage um another group to check out to find out more about this is friends of bats and habitat east gippsland but we're going to hear a speech from lydia thorpe held at that rally outside dalwip um at in bansdale on the 28th of april and there's never ever been any free prior informed consent to log or burn our country my name's Lydia Thorpe, I'm a Gunai Gunditjmara woman, Rabralung woman. And I found out yesterday that the department behind me was about to burn my country, where my mother lives, where our totems live where our waters run free. This department did not even talk to the Gunai Kurnai Land and Waters Corporation about what they're about to do to our country. Shame. So we're here this morning to call out whoever is responsible for burning our country or intends to burn our country in the next 24 hours or 48 hours or at any time into the future and to let them know that they have no consent to burn or log and if they do, they will be trespassing. And if they trespass on our land, if they hurt, our totem, our water, our environment, then we will come back here every day and we will destroy what they have here. We've had two deaths yesterday in, in custody. Two black men who died at the hands of the system and we're out here on the front line trying to protect our country. These people have no idea of the priorities we have to deal with waking up every morning. So they need to stop the destruction of our land and our water and they need to come talk to us properly. Not through a corporation, not through a, a Jackie J 
Jackie who's just going to say yes and who used to work for the department. They need to sit down with traditional owners and elders and gain proper consent through a proper process that adheres to our human rights as Aboriginal people in this country. So I just want to say thank you to all of our allies that have come out today who, who are dealing with this daily as well. I mean, we've been dealing with it for over 200 years, so we kind of, you know, just keep rolling with it and keep surviving and keep struggling. But it is good to see that it affects your life too and that you're here to stand with us and stop this uh, eco-side, which is also genocide. So as soon as these doors open at 9am, we'll be asking for a meeting with the decision maker. Uh, and I invite anybody else up here to, to have a yarn or to address the, the audience. We've got uh, a couple of other TOs on their way, so we'll make space for them when they do arrive. But it is a obviously non-violent um, gathering. We're non-violent people being violated and we had enough violence over the last 200 years so we respectfully stand here today and we respectfully ask these people to stop the destruction of our land and our water and you just heard from Lydia Thorpe there speaking on April 28th the other month at, in Bansdale in front of the department of environments, waters, land and planning there who were going to do a prescribed burn that had no consent from the Gunai Kurnai peoples there. And following that action, um, the the one particular burn at Trident Arm that was most in that was most contested, that was deferred. So that action did have results there. But a big str- ongoing struggle to continues there. And you've been listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris, and we're towards the end of our show. Up next is Salam Radio Show. Um, definitely check that out. And if you'd like to get in contact with Queering the Air, you can so via Facebook, via Twitter. Just put in Queering the Air for those ones. And via our, our Gmail at queeringtheair at gmail.com. I'm going to go out with, with 2000 and whatever by Electric Fields. Bye, listeners. Yes, my blood with the eyes of the panther With your cosmic skin and a celestial dancer Oh, yes, I know this by now your energy is loud I've been knocking you directly when I see you in the crowd Make you look up from the paranoid place in and out of space On a mod Istanbul Millennia
you should know this by now, your spirit is a glow I'll be knocking you directly when I see it out show listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.